Hello, I'm Paulette Lee, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. At our ages and life stages, we often find ourselves in the position of having to be a caregiver to someone, typically an elderly parent or a spouse. More than 20% of Americans are caregivers for either an adult family member or a child with special needs. And of course, the pandemic has made things worse. The World Health Organization has reported that COVID caused a 25% increase in anxiety and depression globally, noting that social isolation was one of those stress factors for family caregivers. Recently, I went to a presentation on coping techniques for caregiving, where the presenter, who works for a continuous care facility, said, quote, the majority of people, unquote, want to take care of their aging, infirm, or dementia-affected loved ones at home. Well, uh uh-oh, immediately my guilt buzzer went off. I recall uh, recall that several years ago when my late husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's, which, by the way, was not the cause of his death, I confided to a close friend that I had serious doubts about my ability to be a caretaker, should that be required of me in the future. I remembered how impatient, not to mention sleep-deprived, I was just staying with my dying widowed mother off and on while she was suffering from dementia. She was difficult enough when married, healthy, and of sound mind. This situation was impossible. I had to get home nursing care for her and ultimately hospice care, which was wonderful, but I just couldn't do it. It was the health and dying care professionals who assured me I didn't have to. I could just be the daughter, even that was a difficult enough role, and let them take over the other parts. I confessed this at the caregiving presentation. We were a very small group eating lunch in a restaurant, and the presenter amended her remark to say, well, eight out of 10 people would prefer to take care of their loved ones at home. You and I are the other two. (laughs) So I could surrender the feelings of guilt about not being my mother's caretaker, though I might still feel remorse and regret. In other life circumstances, Yes, I have had those feelings, as well as the more private one of shame. These are not symptoms, uh, synonyms, I mean, for the same feelings as those who claim to know point out. For example, New York psychoanalyst Dr. Lori Holman says, quote, Shame and guilt are intense states of emotional distress that begin to develop in childhood and continue to be felt in adulthood. Shame is generally about one's view of oneself, whereas guilt is about what one has done to another. While it's often believed that to feel shame, that is a sense of being dishonorable, wrong, humiliated, or foolish, a person has to be caught in the act or exposed, that type of shame, she says, focuses on appearances to others. In contrast, more importantly, Shame can be an internal emotion no other person even suspects. It has to do with ideals and expectations for ourselves that we develop as we grow up and mature and then falter and do not perceive we are living up to our standards or our own 
expectations, unquote. Dr. Holman goes on to describe remorse as deep regret for a wrong committed. It follows from guilt if you are an emotionally healthy person. Sociopaths and narcissists tend not to have these feelings. In her peer-reviewed article in the July 2020 issue of Psychology Today, Dr. Margulis Fielstid, however, makes a distinction between regret and remorse. She says, regret has to do with wishing you hadn't taken a particular action. You may regret an action because it hurts someone else, but you may also regret it because it hurt you, it cost you something emotionally or financially or led to a punishment or undesirable result. Regret can lead a person to feel sorrow, grief, hurt, and anger. But these can be for the pain he or she feels for the self, not necessarily for the other person who was hurt by the behavior. Remorse, she goes on to say, involves admitting one's own mistakes and taking responsibility for one's actions. It creates a sense of guilt and sorrow for hurting someone else and leads to confession and true apology. It also moves the remorseful person to avoid doing the hurtful action again. Regret leads a person to avoid punishment in the future, while remorse leads to avoiding hurtful actions toward others in the future." End quote. I would like to add that sometimes you're not given the opportunity to atone in the sense to not repeat the hurtful action. In her article on intentionalcaregiving.com, author Shelley Webb talks about intent. Guilt comes from purposefully doing something wrong, she says. For instance, if you intentionally denied your loved one their favorite meal just because you were angry with them, then you're feeling guilt. My aside here, that is in the aftermath and assuming you're not a sociopath. But, uh, this is now Shelley uh, Webb uh, writing, if your loved one is disappointed because you couldn't make their favorite meal because you forgot to purchase a specific required ingredient, then your aftermath feeling would be regret. She sums it up this way in terms of caretaking. Regret is if you can substitute the words I wish, such as I wish I had been there when my father passed away, or in the throes of COVID, I wish I'd been able to hug my grandmother one more time. Returning to Dr. Fielstead's Psychology Today article, she has some statements that can help you determine whether someone is being regretful or remorseful. Regret statements, she says, usually sound like this. I'm sorry that you took it like that. I'm not making excuses, but you do that too. I shouldn't have done that. I don't want to make you mad. Why can't you let it go? It's in the past. You know I didn't mean that. Please forgive me. Asking for forgiveness is not the same as an apology. But, she says, remorse statements lead to a true apology. She maintains that uh, that includes your concern for feelings and responsibility for their actions in these statements. I'm sorry that I hurt you. What can I do to help? I see the pain this is causing you. I should not have said, done, whatever. You have a right to be angry. I was wrong. 
I understand that it could take you a while to get over being hurt. How can I help you feel better? Not only are the words different, but the emotional concern and remorse is deeply felt and conveyed with a focus on making amends. Regret often seems flat, emotionless, and is more focused on moving on and getting the punishment over with. All right, so this might appear to be a bit off track when talking about caring for a loved one, but it really isn't. Caregiving comes with a host of emotions that can be particularly exacerbated if dementia or other personality changes are involved. The Alzheimer's Association identifies at least 10 signs of, quote, caregiver stress, unquote. These are denial about the disease and its effects, anger, depression, social withdrawal, anxiety, exhaustion, sleeplessness, irritability, lack of concentration, and the caregiver's own physical and mental issues. Caregivers are advised to seek out help to manage and alleviate their stress, and there are many, many resources for doing so. Books, online resources and, and websites, organizations, associations, support groups, and therapists and other healthcare providers. Also, taking time for yourself and enriching yourself so that you can be there more to give the care that's needed. And of course, not all the emotions of caregiving are negative. Many people are thankful for and cherish the time they're able to spend with a loved one. In fact, Elizabeth Kupferman, a professional counselor uh, who specializes in helping women overcome depression, grief, and anxiety, says it's actually the distinction between caretaking and caregiving that makes the difference. And I realize that I've sort of been interchanging those terms as I've been speaking about this subject, but she says, I view caretaking and caregiving on a continuum. We usually aren't doing both at the same time. The goal is to do as much caregiving as we can and to decrease our caretaking as much as we can. Caretaking, Dr. Kupferman says, is a dysfunctional learned behavior that can be changed. This is how she identifies the differences. Caretaking feels stressful, exhausting, and frustrating. Caregiving feels right and feels like love. It re-energizes and inspires you. Caretaking crosses boundaries. Caregiving honors them. Caretaking takes from the recipient or gives with strings attached. Caregiving gives freely. Caretakers don't practice self-care because they mistake and believe that that is a selfish act. Caregivers practice self-care unabashedly because they know that keeping themselves happy enables them to be of service to others. So, as I reflect, it appears that I saw my role with my mother as caretaking. And that with my husband, if I'd had the chance, perhaps I could have been a caregiver. I think a caregiver poem 
by Siv Goulding expresses these conflicting emotions quite well. So I'd like to share it with you. Fulfilling a promise, toiling through thin and thick, commitments abounding, family, friends, work and all, no time to smell roses or savor the sunset, feelings suppressed from dreams unfulfilled, intimacy shattered and memories erased, friendships faded and love encaged. Release yourself from frustration and anger. Release yourself from the burden of guilt. Let the tears roll free to let out all the sadness. Give others a chance to share in the care, a chance to give back before it's too late. Link up with the world, refresh your perspective. Dare caring for you, both your body and soul. Release yourself to be who you are with dreams to fulfill while able and strong. Embrace your life, the gift you were given. You are not to be blamed for your loved one's decline. Renewed, you can blossom, freed up from the burden of guilt and despair. Reborn, love can flourish and your care can become a blessing to share. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.